conversations about professional things. This podcast is powered by the Business Communication Lab at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. I'm your host, Savannah Rubino, and with me is my co-host, Gracie. Hello! Uh, Gracie, this episode is a very special episode for you because we're talking about the transition from an academia industry to tech, and can you speak a little bit about why you're interested in this? Yeah, I realized that this is an audio platform, so you couldn't see me, like, do my hand motions that I just did, so... Um, anyway, we can cut that out. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk with Christy today, just as someone that is getting a PhD um, in the humanities um, and someone that's going to go on the job market very soon. Um, I love talking about what kind of transferable skills we have um, in our humanities training and how that can apply to things outside of academia. Um, and I think it's also important, you know, I'm excited for this for our listeners as well, because there are people that are, you know, just spent the last four years in the academic culture as students and are going to eventually go into the workforce. So I'm super excited about it. With that, Ben, I will introduce Christy Davis, who is our guest for the second Company Culture episode of the season. Uh, Christy, if you'd like to give a little bit of a blurb about yourself to let our audience know kind of your journey um, from academia into your current role. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Savannah and Gracie. I'm really excited to talk to you today. So yeah, I am, as you mentioned, Christy Davis. And in January of this year, I switched from academia into a tech job. So I actually received my PhD in English from the University of Arkansas a few years ago. And after that, I worked as a professor in a community college outside of Houston for four and a half years. And then I made the switch to a customer success manager is my current role for a tech company. Um, And I'm really excited to talk about A, just the differences between those two work cultures and B, absolutely the transferable skills that are there. I think you're absolutely right that there are just a lot that transfer over. Yeah, and I feel like we don't, we as humanities majors, we sometimes forget that we have transferable skills, and so I'm, I'm just so excited to talk to you about it. Um, my first question that I am very, I'm excited about all of it, but um, I'm excited to hear your answer, is what would you say the biggest change was transitioning from academia um, and, and teaching at a community college to the industry and the job that you're currently in now? Yeah, so for sure, I think the biggest difference was the change in autonomy. So when I was at the community college, when I was a professor, everything that I did was sort of individual. You know, I mean, I I actually co-taught and I had committees and things like that. But on a daily basis, I was the one responsible for completing my tasks. In my industry now, I absolutely have to rely on other people a lot more, um, a lot more teams, and there are just a lot of things that I can't answer, and I'm not supposed to answer. I'm sort of a liaison between the people that are in tech versus the clients themselves, so I'm sort of that middle person sort of transferring knowledge, and so I have to rely on people um, getting those answers, getting those tasks done, and I think that's been the biggest change for me. I'm glad you brought up the client-focused, um, like, 
Because in a sense, as a professor or being in academia, if you're teaching, your students kind of are the clients in that respect. So I kind of wanted to know, um, what did you learn about yourself and maybe the way that you um, manage your social levels in the workplace? Because I think a lot of times people assume, I guess it depends on the department that you're in or obviously the person, but a lot of people assume that teachers are very extroverted, but being a teacher can be very draining. And so I wanted to hear kind of the difference in how you're managing your social energy levels now versus when you were front facing towards students and not clients. Yeah, I think that's, that's sort of almost two questions in one. Like you're first starting with, you know, students as clients or the comment, the connections between my clients and students. Um, that's a whole other conversation about, you know, how the current universities view students, um, how we have like are built as a business. Um, but absolutely there is so much, uh, sort of overview, uh, um, or overlapping between students and clients, um, that, they are people that I am presenting to, that I'm responsible to, um, and that are responsible to me to, you know, complete the tasks. So it's so much more in common, I think, than people maybe like to admit. Um, and then as far as managing energy, I am relatively extroverted. Um, however, that being said, teaching is one of the most exhausting things I've ever done in my life. Um, every single class period is essentially, even when you're, you know, outsourcing and getting group activities, it's a presentation um, you're doing. And so I was always <laughs> exhausted after teaching, um, even if I was sort of energized by it, um, but physically drained in a way that um, I probably did not manage my energy super well. I think that's one of the reasons I'm not in it anymore is that every day was exhausting even if i felt incredibly fulfilled and excited whereas you know now i work remotely so that's part of it so i'm less physically drained because i can sit down while i'm doing my job whereas when i was teaching i was always all over the classroom i can sit down i can also turn the camera off when i need to people aren't watching me people aren't paying that much attention to me um when i have meetings most of the time they're smaller groups um you know it's a handful of people it's a regular conversation even when i'm doing sort of my big sort of business review presentations i would say it's less exhausting than teaching a class um so as far as managing my ability to handle it now it's pretty easy um in between client meetings i you know turn off my camera i go get a drink of water i come back and i'm fine um with teaching there was a lot of emotional uh exhaustion as well especially over the past couple of years um especially where i taught there was a lot of first generation college students who needed a lot more than i could provide them from the college and you know my class was not the most important thing to them and it shouldn't have been. They had other responsibilities and other things. And so in addition to the physical exhaustion, there was a lot of emotional exhaustion. Something that I like about this conversation is even, so I, I do teach classes um, just as a graduate student in a couple of different mm -hmm. departments, 
But this semester, I'm working as the graduate assistant at the business communication lab. Um, and so, I mean, maybe more so last semester when I, you know, when I taught um, a composition class or a world lit class or a gender class to, you know, a room full of 30 students, and then I would come immediately to tutoring appointments. It's just interesting to me the different kind of, like, energy it takes to even do those two things, which are much more similar, right? Like, because they're both, I mean, you're working with people and you're trying to help people and things like that, but, like, even just the different kinds of, and they're both fulfilling, like you said, it's just different energy levels that it takes. Um, and I do like what you said about teaching kind of be a presentation, because that is what yeah, it feels true. like. Yeah, yeah. And I think people, I think people don't really think about that a lot, um, but like, yeah, it's like you've got, you're the visual the whole time, um, and people are, <laughs> people are looking at you, uh, and as someone that has fallen in front of my classes several times, um, it could be, <laughs> it could be intimidating, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's so interesting just how you manage the emotional labor of doing it, um, but also, like you were saying, you know, the job that you have now, being able to turn the camera off, I think is really, I don't know, I just think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I have also fallen in front of my classes multiple times at the University of Arkansas, actually. Well, when I taught there, uh, we had to let the class out early because everybody was laughing so hard. So, like, I fell over in my seat. It was in a huge auditorium. It was pretty great, honestly, and it was fine. At but, that point, just let it happen. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely, in addition to a presentation, almost a performance mm -hmm. at times, right? Um, and you're sort of on. You're on in that moment, and then you sort of shut down afterwards. Um, for my colleagues that are still in it, I would say that, you know, that are better at managing their emotion is they can sort of step away after class right it's not they're not dwelling on it they're not thinking about oh gosh I fell down today mm -hmm. or like I said this line instead of this line or this student needs this they could kind of you know okay that class is done what's next move on um whereas I like to really I like to really focus in and dwell on things so and I think that's a tool that you can apply to any job that you're in, but setting we mm -hmm. talked about in the, the first life balance. Yeah, emotion or just these kind of boundaries of I'm I'm here from eight to five or, or whatever your time frame is and you know, I'm gonna spend it thinking about that, but but yeah, being able to separate yourself, okay, on to the next task. What I am also really interested in, in knowing and, and um, however comfortable you are with answering, but just what got you um, what got you into academia and, and kind of what was the impetus for the decision to, to leave academia? Because um, I think that there, and I'm purely speaking from, from personal experience here, but there's some kind of, you know, you enter into grad school and typically people think that you're going to stay in academia and that is kind of the anticipated career trajectory, at least in the humanities. Um, and so I'm interested to know what got you into it, but also what was the ultimate decision to get out of it? Yeah, so, well, really, um, my senior year of college, I became a supplemental instructor um, for a class at Baylor, and um, where I did my undergrad and master's, which I loved, and I loved it so much. Um, being a supplemental instructor, I was teaching just like little small groups of students after class, just kind of going over something that I had taken as a freshman and they were all freshmen, I was a senior. 
And I loved it so much that I was like, what can I do that I get to keep doing this? And uh, both of my parents are secondary, were secondary English teachers. And so I really did not want to become a teacher um, because I did not want to be like, it seemed too perfect. Like, oh, of course, that's what Christy is doing. Um, but I was like, oh, no, I really love this. And when I graduated, uh, <laughs> it was right after 2008. And so there was a recession. There were not a lot of jobs. And I ended up going to Thailand and teaching English for a year. And I loved it. Um, and I was at the secondary level. And I was like, I want to do this, but I want to do it on the college level. And I want to be able to do, you know, more research. And so that's what I did. When I started at the University of Arkansas, um, people already knew that, like, the job market was incredibly difficult. And I had a conversation with multiple people, both at, you know, both institutions being like, okay, is this what you want to do? Are you aware of the job prospects? Which I really appreciated. Um, I, I had my, in some ways, I knew what I was getting myself into. And I remember thinking, there is a chance that I'm going to regret this decision, right? There is a chance that I will go and get my PhD. It will not financially work out. I will be in debt. This is not maybe the best choice. But I also thought to myself, if I don't do it, I know I'll regret that. I have to do this. And so I did it. And I loved it. I loved getting my PhD. I loved writing my dissertation. Well, mostly loved writing my dissertation. I loved getting to teach. Um, but I always knew during that time that there was a strong possibility that I would do sort of an alt-ac career. As much as I liked, I liked archival research, I didn't really want to publish, you know, that much. I wasn't that interested in some of that discourse. Um, I didn't want to publish, you know, that seemed exhausting and difficult in a way that didn't feel as connected as I would have wanted to be to um, my students and my life. So I sort of knew that this was a possibility and I thought that I would go into some sort of alt-ac, some sort of faculty development, some sort of writing lab. But when I graduated from Arkansas, I was sort of very fortunate in that I didn't, I got a job right away um, a full-time health insurance, all the things I wanted, um, at a community college. And I was very happy there for the first couple of years. And so that was sort of, to me, success. And then, um, I started realizing this was where I would be if I didn't make a change. And for me personally, when I, got the job. It was in the city, I was in Houston, where I lived, and I had really not looked outside of academia, right? And with the job market the way it is, most people, you know, they're looking all over the nation. Um, they're looking at, you know, all sorts of location sizes of schools and things. I really just focused in the Houston area. Um, and so I was really fortunate to get to stay and have a full-time job. And then I realized if I wanted to move up, I would have had to move or um, I would have had to make less money potentially at a smaller school. Um, and I realized I didn't want to do that. So a lot of people were like, well, Christy, why aren't, why aren't you trying to like go to a four year school or, or go here? And I was like, it's not worth it to me to move um, at the time. And so that was a lot of it was just thinking there's no where I am at where I am 
is where I will be forever. And other people didn't seem too happy staying at the same career for 30 years when there's not, you know, a good increase in pay. And even, you know, on a secondary education level, the starting salaries are often not bad, um, but there's not a lot of like upward mobility. So that was part of it. That was a lot of it. The other part of it was I was getting burned out in, I was, I remember one of my last few classes, I had a student, you know, come and tell me something that they were going through, which very frequently happened. And I felt myself not able to sort of empathize in a way that I scared me and made me think like, oh, I am jaded (laughs) and that's not great. I am too young for that. And if I'm this bad five years in, what's it going to be like in 25 years? And so it was definitely sort of a self-preservation. I felt like in order for me to still care about everything, um, I had to get out of a job that really asked me to care all the time while doing a fairly difficult job. Um, And that was a lot of the personal reasons and then just You know, the year we were fully remote for a year, um, just the real exhaustion that my students were experiencing in the past couple years, it was really hard uh, for them and for my colleagues, and it made me really sad, and I wanted to stay and see it get better. Um, It really did, and then I thought, I don't think I have it in me. And so I started looking, um, last August or a year ago, um, I started looking around the summer and it, I looked for a lot of all tech jobs. Um, and then the way that I found this job was through a referral. And that is the biggest, that was the biggest challenge is I knew that I had transferable skills. I felt it, I knew it, but convincing other people was a little bit more challenging. Um, but I got it and I was like, what even is a customer success manager? I have no idea. Do I really want to do that? Can I feel and exist in a way that like, how will I feel not having my identity tied to academia? Um, but I made the change and I have absolutely no regrets about it. So that's, that's how we got here. That's awesome. I think like, what I appreciated about what you said, and I, and again, I'm, I'm speaking a lot from my own personal experience um, as someone that is in a weird liminal position that graduate students are, right? That we're students, but we're instructors, but we're like professionals, but kind of not really. Um, and yeah. so something that I appreciated about what you said is, is it, it wasn't like, a leaving academia wasn't a failure. It was a self-preservation moment. And like, it was the, the values that you had and, and caring about people and wanting to help students. Like there was something that was happening there that was, was blocking that. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, like, I think that's really important. And I'm also thinking about like during digital, um, during virtual teaching, um, the kind of different, uh, different presentation style or performance style that you have to do during digital stuff and also just as a student that you have to do right like it's difficult to for some people to take virtual classes and it's easier for others um, what I would love to know is 
So you said you knew you had transferable skills and it was just like getting other people to listen to you. So Uh what were some of your transferable skills as like as a humanities person, but also like as a student, you know, that like we have our listeners are are not really in grad school. They're mostly undergraduate students now. So I guess that's a two parter question. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's two parts. So one, you know, as a teacher or professor or instructor, um, what are those transferable skills? And then two, what like students who are looking for jobs, what are the transferable skills, especially like if they're, you know, they have that humanities background or they haven't been trained for a specific job. They don't have a linear path to follow. So as a teacher instructor, I mean, one of them is just presentation skills, right? Any time that you can get in front of a room and come and talk to people and not and be okay is a transferable skill. And two, any sort of communication skills, um, like written skills as well. So those are kind of, I guess, a little bit obvious as far as like an instructor, I have those presentation skills, I have these writing skills, that's my background. But as a student, what I would tell students is that a couple different things. (laughs) One, anything that you do in your classes that requires you to find and look at a model, a model of a memo or um, watching somebody else's doing a case study or a presentation, anytime you find a model and you're forced to sort of recreate that, analyze it, say, okay, this is what they did. This is what was good about it. Here's how I can do it. That is absolutely a transferable skill. That is everything that I, you know, have learned at this job. I knew nothing. And everything that I learned was that, um, I watched somebody else in do it. I analyzed it said, okay, what, why are they good at it? How can I do it? Um, and then the other couple things are detail oriented, like being detail oriented is such an important skill and it does not come naturally to me, but even like sort of things that I did not enjoy teaching like MLA style or APA style or whatever. I didn't actually, for my students, I was like, you don't need to memorize this. What you need to know is like, how can you find the resources to answer the question? And then can you be detail oriented enough to follow that? And can you like pay attention to the period? Not because I really care, but because I need it to match because this, this demonstrates your details oriented skills. And then the final thing, um, being responsive. So first, you know, (laughs) it's a little bit silly in that like in real life, I think that deadlines are a little bit different than how deadlines work in practically for students, right? If you miss a deadline at work, it's not like it just like, whoop, made a zero on that project. We're done. Um, it, it doesn't go away. So, and deadlines often are fungible, right? So if you miss a deadline, it, it happens. But if you communicate ahead of time and you say like, this is why it's not happening. This is the new date. Um, you, that, that's the same conversation that you have with a teacher about that. And like, as an instructor, I think that people should be more understanding of un- deadlines because, because of that. Um, if you can have that conversation with your manager or report, like who you're reporting to, that's absolutely um, an important skill that is just, just requires being communicative and being on top of it. And 
I like that you said that you knew you had transferable skills and you just needed a referral. I'm not sure if that was um, sort of a sponsor, if you will, but that kind of leads me into a question of where did you find support while you were in academia as opposed to now? Because I know that there's kind of, I'm a big Redditor, I'm always on Reddit, I will, I have no shame, but one of the things that I found when um, researching company culture or culture academia culture specifically, um, is that there's a lot of like online support forums or groups because sometimes I think it's a little scary. I'm speak, I don't want to speak for you guys because I haven't been in, um, that type of career, but it can, it, it could seem a little scary to talk amongst some of your coworkers in an academia setting, um, about some of your concerns or any questions you might have. And so I found that a lot of people are turning to things like Reddit threads, like r slash professors. And, you know, you see rants, questions and discussions. And I wanted to know when you were at your lower points in at that point in your career, where did you go for support? Where did you find um, more energy? And then now, where do you find that same support as well? That is... That's a great question and one that I, I haven't really thought about too much until now. Um, so not Reddit for me, but <laughs> definitely Twitter. Um, I spent a lot of time on Twitter. Um, and, you know, I followed hashtags like Alt-Ac or Post-Ac or um, – and, and it wasn't even – that was even before I was planning to leave. I was following a lot of people that I just was interested in their careers. I was interested in what they were doing. Um, and I found a lot of support and encouragement through that. And, and both in, sometimes people will post like their lesson plans or here's what went on in class or I renamed my office hours and now a ton more people are coming, you know, and it was really exciting as, as an instructor, but there was also like that element of, oh, these people are also going through the same struggles that I am. Um, and was perfectly fine admitting that like, yeah, there are too many students in this class. I can't do everything. These, you know, I've made this great rubric for this assignment and it's still, I'm still not giving enough feedback that I want to give, etc. Um, and then I was also fortunate in that a lot of my colleagues in grad school, a lot of them were fairly supportive. Um, they knew that I was burning out they also were I have some that also left at the same time and so and then I, and then I had pushback you know I had a couple of people who were just really disappointed when I left um and didn't understand it and were really sad and I was like yeah I'm sad too um but it's also the right thing and so I and I even had colleagues at my because I was at a community college I think um there was a little bit less you know, we, we weren't required to publish, we weren't, um, there wasn't a lot of research, and so people were really committed to being good teachers, and they were. Um, so they understood, like, if this is something that you don't feel like you can sustain, we don't, we understand. Um, yeah, so Twitter and my friends. <laughs> yeah. How is, how is having, I'm interested to know, like, how is, having a PhD, I don't know, in your experience, how is it, how do, I don't know, how do people interact with that when you're like, I have a PhD in English, 
like at your current job, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's certain um, feelings that come with leaving academia, right? And like the, some people in the community that exists there, but also I'm just interested to know like what, yeah, like what do people say when you say I have a PhD in English in this particular, you know, subfield? <laughs> yeah, it's always an interesting conversation. Um, and honestly, one that I try not to have too often because of that, um, in part because it, there is a level of shame, right, with not, you know, from academia, like from the people that are like, oh, you left, but you couldn't hack it, um, or like this wasn't successful for you. Um, but then also like outside of it, you know, we always hear about like how people with humanities degrees don't have skills and baristas. I don't know why they always pick baristas. Um, that's always the thing. And so sharing that is always a little bit, I always do get still a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but it's also a little bit funny because I, most people don't know. Um, when I was on the job, like looking for jobs outside of academia, um, I knew I did keep it on my resume, but I moved my education to the bottom. And so it, you know, it would come up as far as like, this is what I'm doing. Like I would talk about my job, but I very rarely talked about my PhD intentionally because I was afraid that people would think like, oh, she's, she has her head in her, in the clouds. Like she's not out of, she's out of touch with reality. Cause that was sort of in my mind. Um, now when I talk to like my colleagues or it comes up, they are just like, they think it's kind of funny and they're just really interested and they laugh at how like how specific my dissertation was and they're like wait a minute are we supposed to be calling you doctor and I was like absolutely not never <laughs> uh, and my actual direct boss was not um she was on leave when I was hired so she sort of missed my like interview process and all of that so she didn't know for a long time uh I think it was like two or three months and now all of a sudden, one day, she, like, messaged me and was like, wait a minute, you were, like, an actual professor? I was like, yeah, yeah, I did it. She was like, that is so funny. And, like, it, it was just kind of an interesting conversation topic. And that helps me be like, oh, yeah, this, this is a thing that I did that I loved. Um, but it's not my identity with other people. Um, I'm still struggling to figure out what my identity is without it, for sure. And I love that you have really emphasized this entire episode to our listeners that those communication skills, presentation skills, those things that are so prevalent in some of those humanity degrees are so necessary in every single type of role that you would even encounter. Because I can tell you, like, I interned at um, a health insurance and a retail company um, this past summer, and I had friends with all different types of majors. There was like public health, business, finance, and those with the humanities majors, by far, I could tell and I could see within them that they were the most confident in their role, and I could tell that they felt more comfortable with whatever was coming to them. They didn't worry too much about any of the tasks that they might have in the future because they felt very prepared to deal with any of that because a lot of the roles, no, ma no matter which you get placed in at that company, were very um, 
presentation skills focused and communication focused. And um, things like newsletters are a huge thing in um, corporate culture. So in case if you have a real knack for newsletters, then just know that there's somewhere for you out there. Um, but I love how you really hammered. It is. And I love how you really hammered down on that. Um, we are going to close out. And I just want to ask you, for our students listening, what would be your best advice on transitioning from an academic environment as a student, because you were on both sides as a professor and a student, mm -hmm. to any industry job? That's a great question. Um, I mean, there's sort of the standard answer of like tailoring your resume to the specific job, um, using the exact vocabulary that's in the job description in your resume and really like focusing on that. Um, aside from that, I think what I was taught, and I, I think it applies, is sort of when you're talking about your examples, when you're like communicating with people, thinking about like even an interview or just like casually, if you can sort of frame your experience in broader terms, like give specific examples, but as sort of like, not because when I was in so-and-so's class, but rather when I was working on this project, you know, I had to deal with this, this, and this, right? So that subtle shift between positioning yourself as a student and positioning yourself as someone who has done project management or, you know, finished multiple projects, stayed on deadlines, you know, that kind of thing is really important. Awesome. Well, Christy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for allowing us to speak with you. And folks, if you like what you heard, please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Gracie mentioned was transferable skills. Yeah, I really appreciated Christie's take on that. Like not only as, you know, obviously I'm biased because I'm a humanities person, but transferable skills that the humanities gives us, but also just transferable skills that being a student gives you mm -hmm. and like how being a student can prepare you for a career, um, which I just thought that was super useful. I would like to know too in future episodes with the company culture theme, if people coming out of college 20, 30 years ago felt as prepared mm -hmm. as college kids today because I feel like we're being made in the last 10 years or so to have to adapt to mm -hmm. the new setting and there's a lot of overlap between different industries. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if that's something that's a little bit newer or um, is definitely something that people from past generations felt as well coming out of college. Uh, but another thing that I thought was really interesting was the support aspect and how Christy said that she found support on Twitter, which is really cool to me because it's such a casual setting. And I think if you're seeing that many people um, complain or make the same observations, then maybe there's something wrong with the overarching system. Um, so that's another thing as well that I was wondering about. And I think asking people where they find their support is yeah. um, definitely something to keep an eye out for the rest of the semester as well. I think so too, because it seems like there are a lot of different ways that people find that. And the internet is one of those ways that 
you could feel isolated, but if you have access to the internet and access to Twitter and Reddit and things like that, is that you could find support through that mechanism. Right, and the next thing was setting boundaries and feeling like at certain, in certain work settings you have to put on a performance, which, this is a slippery slope, I hate saying that because it makes me sound like so Wolf of Wall Street or something. I love it. Uh, but... It makes me think, if you have to put on a performance at work, is that normal to be expected, or does that mean that you're potentially in the wrong career? Sure, sure. And maybe we have to ask those hard-hitting questions. Yeah, I... I think people would say different things, too. I was going to say, I think it depends also on, like, what what kind of performance you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, if I think... In my humble opinion, everyone performs to some extent when they're working, um, just because, I don't know, we kind of have to in order for us to function. Like, we have to have an agreed-upon set of standards and norms. Um, Like, I don't wear my pajamas to work, but I wear my pajamas at home, you know? Um, So I think to some extent we'd seem like we always perform, but, yeah, I think it would be a question of, like, how much performance are you doing um and are you completely changing yourself as a person and does it feel like because another important aspect that christy brought up was does it feel like you can't escape your work persona when you walk out of work like are you taking that home with you because that's a lot of weight to carry especially in a teaching um work environment as well well, that's about all we have for the Biz Talk Buzz today, but I want to say a special thank you to Cole and Jackie, our editors, Macy and Joaquin, our social media crew, and of course, Christy, our special guest on this episode. If you like what you heard, please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're at it, follow us on Instagram at Walton underscore BCF. That's all for this week. We'll be back soon with casual conversations about professional things.